Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. Psalms chapter 73. Psalms chapter 73. It's a, it's a portion of scripture that I, uh, I use part of this scripture a lot. I comes to mind quite a bit. And it will be probably a familiar portion of Scripture to you as well, at least parts of it will be. The psalmist writes in verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. (laughs) Have you ever looked around, seen the, the goodness of God all around you? And felt like you've been left out, you've been forgotten. That's what the writer's saying. He said, I I can see God and how how he loves, he's good to Israel, but but as for me, my feet almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful. He's explaining why he's in this predicament. He's feeling the way that he's feeling. I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. (laughs) What a terrible, terrible place to be. What a terrible feeling to have. I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought to how to understand this, it was too painful for me. I don't know if you've caught on to a, a, a theme here in these first 16 verses, but the writer Asaph, he was pretty downtrodden. He was focusing a lot on what seemed to be the prosperity of the wicked and the pain of the righteous, so much so that he says, I tried to remain pure, but it all seems to me like it's vanity, like it's pointless, it's useless. He says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. But then there is a, a pivot right here in verse 17. He said, until... I used to think this way. This was the old me. This is what I 
what ran through my mind, and this is the way that I had a concept of the world that was around me, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Then I understood their end. I would just want to, I don't know, probably do more teaching today than actual preaching, but I just want to preach, teach to you today a message that I've entitled, The Safe Place. A Safe Place. Amen. You may be seated today. The psalmist was in a quandary, quite a predicament. I don't know how long he spent in this predicament, in this way of thinking. The Bible does not declare that to us, but what we do know is that it was enough and it affected him in such a way that he was spiraling dangerously close to a backslidden state where he just thought, what's the point in serving God? Now, I'm not sure, I don't want to say that everyone has been in a situation like this, but I, I could probably say that there are some here today that have felt like that. You have tried to do right. You have tried to live right. Maybe you've come to the Lord and you began to serve him, and in your mind you're thinking, well, things got to turn around, things got to get better. But the reality of it was when you stopped and you began to look around, it seemed like life wasn't better. Matter of fact, it might have even gotten worse for you. Friends that don't understand, family that can't comprehend the newfound life that you've had. The writer, he then tells us the secret to coming out of this state of mind, and maybe you're not there, maybe you've never been there, but should you ever find yourself in this situation, in this frame of mind, I want you to be able to remember back to this message today, because this very message may be the thing that helps you get through a dark place in your life, a hardship an unfair treatment, a time in your life where you look around and you see the old me was in better shape than the new me. The old way of life seems to have been easier than the new way of life living for God. And when that should happen to you, I want you to remember. He says, I went into the sanctuary of God, and that's when I understood their end. That's when I saw the difference in the road that I'm traveling and the road that they're traveling. There is a reason that you hardly will ever find a mouse in a mouse trap that has no bait in it. Now, just so you know, the, the new church building out here, we did have a, a small problem with mice getting in, and I, I went on a rampage and went out and bought I don't know how many mouse traps. And I began to set mouse traps, and the, the, the joke was, how many more did you catch today? I caught five within about the first hour that I set those mouse traps, and I put cheese in there, and and you know they were getting into the uh, the food that was that we had there, so we had to. Put, throw all that food away and put the rest of it in the refrigerator where 
no mice could get to it. And I thought, that that's it. I, they're costing me money now. I, I'm out for, it, it's all out war. But I noticed something yesterday when I left. There is one particular mousetrap that, that has no bait on it. And, and I don't know um, what happened. I think it finally just disintegrated. And that particular mousetrap, the rest of them are all snapped, and I've not, I've not had any, uh, put more cheese in those. But that particular mousetrap has sat there for a couple of months now and has, I've never caught a mouse out of it. And there's a reason why the devil has to sugar things up at the front of the road. There's a reason why that he has to put something that, that seems so tempting to you in order for you to begin to follow him. But I would say to you today, don't fall for his tactics. Don't, don't eat his bait because at the end of that, there is a trap that is going to break you in half. There's a trap that is going to destroy your life. Oh, I know. I get it. Serving God is not uh, is not always the miracles. It's not always the goosebumps. There's not all. Sometimes it's a grind of life, and sometimes we find ourselves almost being bored just by the day in day out routine of of serving God. And we look around us and we say, "Well, if I didn't do this, I could have that. And if I didn't go here, then I could I could go to this other place. And if I don't ha- didn't have to live this, sur- let me tell you something today. What you need to understand is the sanctuary is a safe place. The sanctuary is a place that you can raise your children. The sanctuary is a place where you can serve God. And the sanctuary is a place that will ultimately lead you to a place of eternal rest. Sanctuary, a consecrated place, a place of refuge and protection. But there's another third definition that we need to consider today, and that is that the church historically was a sanctuary from the law. Interesting. Oh, this is very interesting. Historically, churches were placed where fugitives could seek at least temporary protection from the law. I didn't ever, I never knew that. I never knew until I began to kind of open things up and do a little study and some word searches and stuff like that. I, I never realized that churches were strategically placed to give uh, to give uh, harbor to places, that, uh, to people that were fugitives, that were running from the law. And, and in reality, I guess, you know, a part of me, I was like, I want to see justice served. If that's a fugitive, they're a criminal. We should not be harboring them, but, but we got to... Look at this through spiritual eyes today. Because if that were the case, then we're all fugitives. We're all criminals. In the Anglo-Saxon England, churches and churchyards, they generally would provide 40 days of immunity. And if the sheriff came knocking at the door and said, let me in, They can say, he's got 40 days. He's safe here. The sheriff couldn't enter in and and, and take out the fugitive. Even an army was not allowed to go in to the sanctuary and remove the criminal. They were safe. Now, gradually, the right of the sanctuary eroded away, and 
little before the 15th century, the crime of treason was disallowed. The sanctuary for most of the crimes was severely restricted by Henry VIII and later on completely abolished altogether. But, but you will find dotted throughout stages of history where churches have still been sanctuaries, places of refuge. Even in the 1980s, back when we had a lot of political refugees coming over from Central America, the churches were housing, many, many churches were housing those political refugees, and even the United States government would not go into most of those churches and, and get those refugees out and, and deport them, but they were allowed safety in the sanctuary. Now, I don't know if you made the correlation here or not, but as I began to read that, I thought, what a correlation, what a new meaning that gives to Romans chapter 8 for me. See, Romans chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of the life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Let me tell you something, at the age of 17, I was bound pretty hard fast to the laws of the flesh. I was trying to escape it, but didn't know how. I was trying to get rid of some baggage, but didn't know how. I was trying to walk away from some habits, but did not know how. But there came a Sunday night when a red-headed elderly evangelist stood behind the pulpit and began to preach, and conviction gripped the heart of a young man that sat on the back pew. And I found myself in a sanctuary, and I let go of that back pew, and I walked down to an altar, and I found that the law of the flesh was subject to the law of the Spirit. I found a sanctuary. I found a refuge. I found a hiding place. I found a place where I was immune to the laws of the flesh. <laughs> the condemnation. The writer of this particular Psalms, Asaph, seemed very conflicted by what he had seen and what he had experienced. Now, if you look back at his background just a little bit, you'll find that he was an official. He served under both King David and King Solomon wrote many of the, of the Psalms. And he was a Levite and in charge of the ministry of music in Solomon's temple. Now, we all know how Solomon's temple was a place of majesty, so I can imagine that this man was highly talented, highly favored. He had a place of prestige and honor. He served in the in the temple, the most beautiful thing. People came from near and far to see this, this majestic thing of Solomon's building and what the Lord had done. And even the queen of Sheba come over, you know, who was also very wealthy and, and a high authority figure in this world at that particular time. And she said, I couldn't, even the stories don't do it justice of, of everything that you have done. And so here, Asaph finds himself in this place. As a matter of fact, he was in charge, if you do a study 
on this man. He was in charge of the dedication of Solomon's temple when it was finally finished. What an honor. He was not somebody on the outside looking in. Asaph was an insider. He got the inside scoop. He knew the the news of what went on behind the scenes. He saw the inner workings of the temple and how things were laid out. He saw how royalty reacted with each other. He he was aware of what was going on behind the scenes. And, And sometimes, my friend, that can be a detriment. That's not always a blessing. That can be a detriment to somebody who's not grounded securely in God. And so I believe that this song is a testament of sorts to to what happened in Asaph's mind when he got his eyes off of what he should have actually had his eyes upon. He started focusing on men. It's a reminder to us all in this life that you're going to come across things that are not fair, and you're going to be met with things that don't seem just even by people that you expected more from. Can somebody say amen? You're going to watch good people suffer. You're going to see the wicked seem to prosper. Nothing has changed from Asaph's day to our day. There is still rain that falls on the just and the unjust. Job's words are true. Life is full of troubles. We just deal with those things day by day with the help of the Lord. But Asaph was having trouble dealing with what he knew and what he saw. And quite honestly, that's okay. That's okay. It's okay to to look at things and say, that's not right. Asaph was not in trouble. I I think that the godly should always be troubled by what is wrong in this world. I I don't think that we ought to ever just say, well, that's just the world we live in. Let's just go about our daily business. No, I think we ought to look at things and we ought to see things through godly, righteous eyes and say, that's wrong. That, That is not right. That is something that should not be happening. And we ought to fall to our knees and we ought to pray for our city and we ought to pray for our leaders and pray for our nation and pray for our friends. When we see things that are going wrong, I believe that it is a good thing for you be, to be able to detect those things. So that was not Asaph's problem. His trouble came when he recognized the wrongdoing and it caused him to begin to question God. He fell into the well-laid trap of starting to see things through carnal eyes instead of spiritual eyes. It's a dangerous place to be, friends. When we began to put our focus upon everything that's going on around us, when we see the neighbor across the street, when we see the co-worker that's not doing something right, the neighbor that's not doing something right, the family member that's not doing something right, and they seem to be getting away with it, and it seems like your hands are tied. There's nothing that you can do about it. You are just in a place that you just almost just have to accept the fact that they're getting away 
with wrongdoing. It's a tough place to be. But I want you to know something. We serve a God that is going to make the crooked straight. There's coming a day of judgment, and I pray for every single wrongdoer that's ever done me wrong or ever caused pain or heartache to a friend or a family member. I pray for them because I don't want anybody to die and be lost. Amen. But if they choose not to make things right with God, there is a a day coming that God is going to straighten it all out. That's not my business. I'm just here to live the best of my ability according to God's word. And at the end of the day, I can't take care of what somebody else has done that is wrong, but I can handle what is going on in my own life. I have to be able to look at God and say, God, walk with me through this. Don't let my vision be upon things that are going to destroy my own future and my relationship with you. So we have a few lessons here. Listen to me today, and if you're writing this down, write write this down. When you start feeling confused about what you're seeing to the point that you begin to question God, it's time to reestablish what your eyes are set on. Bigger is not always better. More is not always right. God must come first. Because I've found that Christians that see things through car- carnal eyes, they, they never have a stable walk with God. There's a lot of ups and downs. Here are three indicators of carnal eyesight. The first one is time spent with God becomes a chore. Time spent with God is it's hard. I have, don't really be able to find the time anymore for that. The second indicator is church attendance begins to suffer. Suffers as we begin to strive to keep up with the world. I, I think the devil's, one of his greatest tricks in his playbook is not hardship busyness, busyness. I'm just so busy. Number three, the carnal view will cause your giving to the Lord to become very difficult for you. Tithe and offering a hardship, you began to think in your mind, boy, what I could be buying with this. If we didn't have, if we didn't give this, you know what, what we could have? Now, that's easy for me to say because most of this church, that's not a problem. But I'm telling you, the only one that you're robbing when you do not, when you fail to give of tithes and offerings is yourself. It's one of the only scriptures that you'll ever find where God links it to a dare, and he says, try me. Try me and see if I won't open the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing. Try me. He says, I dare you. I dare you. 
You see, we place high priorities on things that are going to one day not belong to us anymore. What one of us would receive a check for a million dollars if the writer of it said, okay, I'm writing you a million dollar check and your eyes got real big. He said, here's the catch, here's the caveat. You must give up your life by this time tomorrow. You're like, never mind. Right? Because what good is a million dollars when you only have 24 hours left to live? And I'm not talking about somebody that's drawing their last breath. I'm talking about somebody that has lots of life left. It's immaterial when, when it comes right down to that moment in life. And oftentimes, I know, that's our humanity. We don't like to think about those things. I don't like to picture myself in a casket. That's kind of morbid, to be honest with you. I really don't like to think about things like that. But the honest part of myself, when I sit down and I really think about it, it helped me put things in proper priority in my life because I have to remind myself that everything that I'm working for and all that I've acquired and the things that I have and the material materialistic things that, that I that I have brought together and that I call mine will one day when I draw my last breath not mean a single thing to me. And at that point in time, the only thing that will matter to me is what I have done for him. Where will I wake up after I draw my last breath? Maybe you've heard the old story about the man that had worked all of his life, saved all of his money. Real cheapskate. Kind of like the guy. He's real frugal. When it came to his money, he loved money more than just about anything. And just before he died, he made his wife promise him cross her heart, hope to die, stick a needle in her eye. That when he died, that she would put all of his money in the casket with him. She said, all right, I will. That's what you want, I will. One day, the day came when he, in fact, did die. Stretched out in the casket, his wife sitting there in the black dress next to some friends and ceremony wrapped itself up and just before the undertakers got ready to close the casket the wife said wait a minute she had with her a shoebox she ran up there and she put the shoebox down over him and they closed the casket they rolled it away the friend knew about the promise he said I hope you weren't crazy enough to really put all all of his money in there with him. You tell me you didn't do that. She said, well, that's what he wanted, so that's what I did. I made a promise, and I'm a good Christian, and I, I'm not going to lie. I promised him I was going to put that money in that casket with him, and so I did indeed put it in there with him. You mean to tell me you put every cent of his money in the casket? I did. Got it all together, put it in my account, wrote him a check. Put the check in the shoebox and put the shoebox in the casket. 
Every red cent is his. If he can cash a check, he deserves the money. <laughs> it's a reminder that the moment that we leave this earth, we leave everything else with it. I began to read the book of Job this last week. I find myself there quite a bit. First thing his wife does is, what have you done? Job simply looks. He says, hey, I came here with nothing. Looks like I may leave here with nothing. It's the truth. All I'm trying to do today is help us to get a focal point in our minds about what is really important to us today. That grudge that I hold, that's that 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 thing that I've promised to do to the Lord and for the Lord, and I've not done it. That those things that it's not worth it. It's not worth it. There are things that are so much more important. Asaph struggled to the point that his own admission, he says, I almost slipped. I almost was gone. I was so envious of wicked people that were doing far better than me, people that were doing all the wrong things, and it just seemed like God blessed him time after time after time. If they can do that over there and do all the wickedness, then why am I struggling so bad trying to do the right thing here? God is not fair. You ever said that? It's not fair. They're not struggling like I am. They have no regard for you. And yet it seems like the more they serve themselves, the richer they become. I think Asaph found himself in a place where he was saying, I, I, I've had it. <laughs> I've had it. What's the use? You know, we got people that should be sitting in our pews right now that are just like that. But they found themselves in a place where they looked around and they took their focus off of the one that they should have never taken their gaze off. They're only seeing things for the here and now, for this very moment. And they would look around and they became envious of people that were all around them that were running and going and doing and spending and, and getting and, and bringing all these things in. And they seemed to be laughing and happy and, and everything was going fine. And, and they didn't have the problems that, that they had. And somewhere along the line, they just said, God, I've had it not understanding that this is for the long haul. The way that we live, we're not living for today. The way that we serve, we're not serving for what we can get this very moment. Paul talked about running a race and fighting a fight. Amen. He said, I've fought a good fight, and sometimes serving the Lord is fighting a fight. 
But the fight that you're fighting is one that is not useless and it is not in vain. The fight that you're in is for where you are going to spend eternity. And Paul said, I fought a fight and this fight was a fight that was worth fighting. It's a good fight. And therefore, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. But it's not just for me. It's for all those that do the same thing that I'm doing. You know, the worst place to be is in a place where you ask yourself, does any of it really matter? Is it making any difference? Such a struggle. But then thank God the story does not end there. The music comes today. The story's not over. I almost had it probably would have had him, except there was one little flaw in Satan's plan to destroy Asaph. Asaph had a job, and his job took him to a certain particular place every Sabbath. Asaph probably got up that day, and he might have been thinking about, here we go again, going through the routines. I'll probably go down there, and I'll look out in the congregation, see people that I know that are doing the wrong things, living the wrong way. They're not living right, and yet they, they got big smiles on their face, and they're wearing nicer clothes. They got Gucci handbags and, and the latest the latest glasses, and, and they drove up on, on the, in the finest of fine cars, and here I am driving my old Ford Escort, you know, 1986 Ford Escort to church and all these problems. I'm just so sick of seeing all this. And can you imagine how how difficult it was for him to probably get up on that that morning and get himself ready and go, and here I got to go up and I got to lead the choir today and I got to fake my way through this. I'm not feeling this at all. If it it weren't for my job and my responsibility as a Levite, and if nobody could miss me, I'd like to just crawl under a rock and go away for a while. I know I'm touching some nerves here today. I know I am. You get weary. Thank God that his job was in the house of the Lord. A sanctuary, a safe place. Asaph said, I walked in there. Well, he didn't say this. This is me surmising. Forgive me. He didn't say this. This is just my imagination. He walks in on that Sabbath to that service, waves at a couple people that have the solo in the choir that day, you know, make sure that the oil and the horns and everything's in place, okay. But there's no excitement in him. He doesn't even want to be there. that all of a sudden something begins to change. The worship begins to flow. And he's standing there directing the choir. And all of a sudden, Sister Betty takes off shouting. She's doing a little jig over here on the left-hand side of the platform. Now, this is my imagination. Brother Bob takes off running down the center aisle. 
choir is rocking. All of a sudden, something began to change in the atmosphere. He feels something he's maybe not felt in a long time. And a tear began to flow down his face. And instead of directing the choir, something comes over him, and he just throws his hands up in the air as God begins to sweep across that place. And it was in that moment when everything clicked. I went into the sanctuary, and it all became clear. It was in the safe place that I began to understand that the direction that I'm headed and the road I'm on is going to one day pay great dividends. And the spirit that I feel right now in this place is going to be one day my dwelling place. Would you stand with me today? Sometimes we just need another touch. That old song that says, Lord, you know I need a brand new touch. That speaks to me sometimes. We get beat up sometimes, don't we, sister? <laughs> we face some things that we don't really want to face. The aches and pains of this world, whether they be physical, spiritual, relational, it's a very reality, very harsh reality sometimes that we have to face. And we're not free from those things. But this message today is just intended to remind you. Don't lose faith. Don't lose sight of what is really important. When the struggles come and the questions begin to roll, and you're not getting any answers, the struggle's not getting any lighter. Just remember this. Keep your eyes upon Him. Keep your eyes upon Him. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.